Good morning. Welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning, we're in the middle of a series on revival. This is our third week on this series, and the title of the series is Revival Is. This morning's message is entitled, Revival Is Restoring Our First Love. So, please enjoy. In Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, uh, I'm going to ask you to please stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God as we read. We're going to read the first four, va- four verses of Revelation chapter 2. The Bible says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. We've been going through a series on Sunday mornings entitled Revival Is, and the title of the message this morning is Revival Is Returning to Our First Love. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for all you've done for us. I pray that you'd clear our minds and hearts. I pray the power of God on the service. May the Spirit fill us this morning. For as it's in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, amen. You may be seated. The city of Ephesus was a great urban city in the Roman Empire. Um, The city was known for its architecture. Uh, There was a great library there that was a real famous library. One of the other things that was there was the Temple of Diana. The Temple of Diana, Diana was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In fact, today you can still, uh, in fact, you can go to the modern city of Izmir, Turkey, which was the ancient city of Ephesus. So Ephesus today is Izmir, Turkey. But you can go to Izmir, Turkey to where Ephesus used to be and you can still see some of the pillars of the Temple of Diana still standing this morning, that's still standing today. Uh, but one of the things about Ephesus that we know is that God did a great work through the Apostle Paul in this city called Ephesus. God did a great work. Ephesus is one of the church at Ephesus is one of the is the only church that the apostles wrote two letters to. Two, two, two apostles wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus. Paul wrote a letter and John wrote a letter. Uh, So God was doing a great work in this city of Ephesus at this church of Ephesus. Now, the churches in this passage of Scripture, the churches are the candlesticks. So the candlesticks represent the churches and the stars represent the pastors. Now, the, the pastors aren't the stars because of some notoriety or some special thing. The pastors are simply reflecting the light of Christ. So Christ is the one who is special, not the pastors. Okay, Christ is the one who is special. And I want you to see this morning, if we look, go back in one verse to Revelation 1.20. <coughs> 
The Bible says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, and the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So when we read about these seven churches in the book of the Revelation, what we're talking about is we're talking about seven literal churches. These are the seven literal churches of Asia Minor. These churches really existed. These churches were really there. And we can see from chapter 2, I want to look at some things about this church of Ephesus. Some of the things we can see about this church of Ephesus is this was a hardworking church. This was a hardworking church. This was a church that was a serving church. They were a hardworking church. This was a straight arrow church. The Bible says that this church had no, no tolerance at all for false teachings. They had no tolerance at all for false teachers. They had zero tolerance for that. And, and, and even though they were a church like that, even though they were a hardworking church and they were a serving church and this was a straight arrow church and they would call out false teachers and they would call out false doctrine, all of these things considered, Christ still said of them, they had lost their first love. All these good things, and they had still lost their first love. <coughs> Excuse me. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You see, a church can have all these great attributes. A church can be a working church. A church can be a serving church. A church can be as straight down the line, down the middle church, and still, and still, if they're missing love, they're missing the point. If they're missing love, then they're missing point. We've been talking about revival the past few Sunday mornings. And revival can be defined as this. This is a definition of revival. Revival can be defined as falling in love with Christ again. Revival can be defined as falling in love with Jesus all over again. So what can be more about revival than re-falling in love with Jesus? What can be more about finding revival than re-falling in love with the Lord? Because this is a church that has left its first love. This morning, I've got three observations that the Lord made about this church. We're going to go through these observations that the Lord Jesus Christ himself made about this church. Number one, this morning, I want you to see the Lord's approval. I want you to see the Lord's approval. Let's look at verse two. I know thy works and thy labor. I know thy works and thy labor. What I want to tell you this morning is that this was a caring church. First point under the Lord's approval is this was a caring church. This was a church that labored. This was a church that worked. This, this was a church that labored and grew weary in the work and they had labored. And when I hear the word labor, I, I think about a woman travailing in childbirth and how it's work and it's not easy. And th these people labored and they worked and they served and they toiled by the sweat of their brow and they gave 100% of their effort. They didn't just work. The Bible says that they labored. 
Labor tells me they were doing more than, than just going through the motions. Labor tells me that these people were toiling. Labor tells me that these people were working. Labor tells me that these people weren't bench warmers. Labor tells me that these per people weren't just place setters. Labor tells me that these people were workers and they got up and they did things and they did something for God and they served God and they worked and they toiled. That's what the word labor tells me today. What I also want you to see is this was a church that not only cared, this was a church that cared about people because they labored, but I also want you to see number two, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And thy patience. What does that mean? That means sometimes they labored and they didn't see any fruit. They labored and they worked but they didn't see any fruit from it. The fruit didn't immediately come. Let me tell you today that um, may, maybe you've had times like that. Maybe there are times, McKenna, would you do me a favor? Would you go in here and shut the door to the fellowship hall? Uh, they're kind of being loud back there. That's okay, but I need both those doors shut. That's right. <laughs> Maybe, maybe you've had times like that. Maybe you've had times where you've labored and you haven't seen any fruit from it. They're just being really loud, aren't they? That's okay. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something, Christian. This morning, let me tell you, not everybody you invite to church is going to come. Not uh, every person you invite to church is going to come. Uh, not everybody you witness to is going to get saved. Um, not everybody you give a track to is going to be receptive. That's not always going to happen. It's not going to happen every time. So this, this was a patient church. They didn't always immediately see fruit. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We shall reap if we faint not. This was a church, that this, this church was a laboring church. This church they cared because they labored. This church they cared because they were patient. And even though they didn't immediately see fruit, that didn't matter to them. They weren't there, they weren't there to get the harvest. They were there to plant the seed because the harvest is not their responsibility. Their responsibility is to plant the seed. So even though they didn't see the fruit immediately, they still kept on and they still kept working and they still kept serving and they still kept laboring and they were patient and even though they didn't see any fruit they kept going I want you to see this morning this was a caring church I also want you to see this morning this was a contending church this was a contending church let's look at verse number two I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars this was a church that was not afraid to stand against false teachings. This was not a church that was afraid to do that. In fact, down in verse, let's read verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So they're standing against these false teachers of the Nicolaitans. Now, that's interesting there. 
Did, did I just read that Jesus said that he hated somebody? Jesus doesn't hate. Jesus is Jesus. Jesus doesn't hate. Let me tell you something. Jesus hates any false doctrine or teachers that leads people away from Christ into a Christless hell. God hates any, Jesus hates any teachers like that. You read Proverbs chapter 6 about abominations and tell me that God doesn't hate things. God does hate things. And one of the things that God hates is a false teacher or a false doctrine that leads people away from him into a Christless hell. So don't tell me Jesus doesn't hate because Jesus does hate. And it says here, the, the, it says the words Nicolaitans. You know what the Nicolaitans are? Nick, the word Nicolaitans means it means it means rulers of the people. So these are rulers of the people of Ephesus that are teaching false doctrine and teaching false agendas and turning people away from Christ. They were the politicians of the day and they're trying to turn people away from Christ by presenting false doctrine. We don't need to let our leaders do that to us either. Our leaders today are trying to steer us away from God and we're electing leaders in our Congress that are trying to steer us away from God and they're aborting babies a day before they're born and they're committing atrocities all over our nation and we don't need to let them get away with it. There's a lady that was just, uh, that was just elected to Congress, Alexandria Cortez or something like that, and uh, her goal is in 12 years... Um, not only wants to get rid of all the vehicle, all the gas burning vehicles in 12 years, she wants to get rid of all the cows. She wants us to be a beefless society. Why? Because the gas from the cows is causing global warming. So when the cows pass gas, it's warming up the earth. So she wants to get rid of all the cows. Man, that's crazy, ain't it? Hey, Exactly. But you know, uh, that just what they're trying to do, they're trying to, try, trying to these, these Nicolaitans, they were the rulers of the people and they're pushing this false doctrine and, and the church of Ephesus was not afraid to stand up against them and say that's not right. It says also in verse 2, which say there are apostles. Now, the Catholics teach that the Pope was the Pope, first Pope was Peter, which has always interests me because Peter had a mother-in-law. Why I've always said, why would you have a mother-in-law and not have a wife? I, I would not get a mother-in-law unless a wife came with it. Okay, so um, so Peter, he obviously had a wife. But besides that, they say that Peter uh, was the first pope. And so therefore, every pope since Peter has apostolic authority, that every pope is an apostle that the popes have apostolic authority, and if the church of Ephesus was here today, the church of Ephesus would stand up and reject that. The church of Ephesus would stand up and say, that's not true, that's not right. They're all, the, the Mormons teach that the president of the Mormon church is an apostle. He also, too, has apostolic authority. And if the church of Ephesus were here, they would stand up and call that out as false teaching. They would stand up and call that out as false doctrine. And you know what the church of Ephesus would say? They would say, let God be true and every man a liar. They were not afraid to stand up against false teaching. I want you to see this morning that they were a contending church, they were a caring church, and also I want you to see this morning that they were a consistent church. 
They were a consistent church. Let's look at verse number three. And hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Let me tell you what this church did. This church, they struggled on and they struggled on and they struggled on. And like the Energizer Bunny, this church kept going and going and going and going and going and going. And they did not stop and they did not let up and they were consistent and they struggled and they kept going and they kept laboring and they kept caring and they kept standing up for false doctrine and they never quit and they kept on and on and on and on. On again, and what did he say about them? You've left your first, you've left your first love. All these things this church had going for it, and he still said, "Thou hast left thy first love." They cared, they contended, they were consistent. And number two, this morning is we have the Lord's accusation. We have the Lord's accusation. Let's look at verse number four. That first word it says, "Nevertheless." All these great things. And then he says, nevertheless. You ever heard of the one-minute manager? The one-minute manager is a way that you can help somebody in a moment's time. A lot of co- Some coaches use, this, use this, uh, this formula. And here's the formula, formula. You give somebody one minute of praise. Then you give them a one-minute reprimand. And then you give them a one-minute goal setting. And it's a way to get somebody back on track, and it's a way to motivate somebody in a moment's time. You might come to someone and say, you're doing a great job as a ministry leader. Your, Your compassion, your faithfulness, your mercy. But you can't leave a kid at a gas station just because they talk back to you. You can't do that. Let's not... Let's not do that anymore, okay? So, so you, know, you know when you hear the word but, you're going to get the rest of the story. You know when you hear the word but, you're going to get the flip side of the coin. You're going to get the other part of it. He said, nevertheless, and he continues on in the verse and says, thou hast left thy first love. You know what this tells me? This tells me that you can be taking up an offering. You can be preaching a message. You can be singing a special. You can be teaching a class. You can be praying in a meeting with a cold heart. With a cold, you can be doing all these things with a cold heart. You know what Jesus said? Jesus is saying to him, you're doing all this stuff, but you don't love me like you used to. You're going through the motions and you're doing all these things. And I see these things you're doing. And I recognize these things you're doing. But man, you, you, you don't love me like you used to. You can be in church and you can have standards out the wazoo and still not be right with God. You see, what had happened is, is they had lost their passion. They had lost their passion. Hey, we can look, look back uh, in our Bible and we can see how the church of Ephesus used to be a passionate church. We can see in the book of book, uh, that the, the church of Ephesus used to be a loving church. Let's, uh, let me read for you Ephesians 1.15. Wherefore I also, after I heard, this is talking to Ephesus, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, 
This at one time was a church that was full of faith. This at one time was a church that was full of love. This at one time was a church that was full of zeal. And, and at one time you could tell that they had fallen in love with Jesus Christ. You know, when you fall in love with someone, you can tell it. You can tell it when you fall in love with someone. I did not have the courage to ask Emily out. I saw her in college, and I can remember one time that she was down in the foyer waiting on her ride because she lived in the city the college was in, uh, but I lived in the dorm. And she was out there in the foyer, and she was waiting on a ride, and for about 10 minutes, I'd walk back and forth and back and forth, and I'd go in the foyer and out the foyer, and I'd walk through, and I probably walked through in 10 minutes eight or nine times. I walked through that foyer trying to get the courage to ask her out, and it never happened. I never got the courage to ask her out, and so I was like, okay, well, if, well, if, I can't, if I'm not going to date her, I want my buddy to date her. So I went to my friend Eric. I said, Eric, uh, why, don't you, why don't you date her? And, you know, uh, you know I guess that's bro logic. But uh, I was like, why don't you go date her? Now, thankfully, I had a friend who knew that I liked her. He knew that I liked her. So what he did is he got three other guys, and they literally found me. They jumped me. They picked me up, and they dragged me into the break room where she was and sat me down beside her. <laughs> that happened. And so it was at that point that I asked Emily out. And the etiquette is, I don't know, you know, I remember what it was like in Bible college. The etiquette when you, when you, when you here's, how, here's how it goes. You go, you like them, and then you care for them, and then you love them. That's the step, that's the progression. And, and some, some couples that would go way out, uh, they would take the like thing a little too far. They would write notes and they'd say, I am so in like with you. Instead of love, I'm in love with you, say, I'm so in like with you say things like that. That's taken a little bit too far. But I was the first one to say I love you and then she responded to it. But I remember I, remember I would come in and I would get these little notes on my desk or I'd get these little notes on my windshield and, and, and they would say I love you and I'd, I'd take these notes out and I, I'd be like an FBI handwriting analyst. I'd start analyzing, oh she only said I love you twice. Last one she said I love you three times. What's going on? I gotta figure out what's going on in this. But, you know, when, when, when you love somebody, you know what? You can tell that you're in love. You can tell that you fall in love. And what did he say? He says, I have somewhat against thee in this verse. It was the fact that they had quit serving God out of love and they began serving God out of duty. Duty is not the reason to serve God. Duty is good. And sometimes you show up and you do, you do what you got to do even when you don't feel like it. But the thing is, is that we don't need to serve God out of duty. We don't need to serve God out of habit. We don't need to serve God out of obligation. We need to serve God out of love. Sometimes you can say, I love you to your wife. And she can tell that it's a, it's a habitual I love you. It's a habit. It, it's a routine I love you. And she can recognize that, and she doesn't want that routine, I love you. She wants that I love you where she knows you mean it, you know? We don't have to wonder if God loves us. You know who I feel sorry for? I feel sorry for those in the Islamic faith. 
Did you know that not one time in the Quran does it ever tell them that God loves them? Not one time. Yet in this book, my God tells me that I love, he loves me all the time. God's love is the theme of the book. If I had to pull out a key verse of this book, for me it'd be John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Man, I tell you what, I know that God loves me, but the problem is, does God know I love him? Does God know I love him? Let's look at verse number five. You go down there and it says, and repent and do the first works. Do the first works. He says, uh, uh, you, you, you're not doing what you first did. You're not doing what you first did. There's a good verse that I want to read to you. It's Matthew 24, 12. It says, and I'm going to read it twice. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Let me read that for you again. Matthew 24, 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We live in a day and time where iniquity abounds. Some of the most heinous murders that you've ever heard about in your life happened just a few weeks ago when we had them on the news. Some of the most heinous kidnappings happen every single day. Our society, we live in a society where iniquity abounds. And we have to be careful because the Bible says that when iniquity abounds, that can discourage us to the point where I, our love for God can wax cold and get, and, and, and get lower and lower and lower. So God, so what, what, what can we do about this, God? Man, my, my love has gotten to the point I don't have the love that I used to have. I, I don't have the joy of my salvation that I used to have. My love is diminished. My love is, is waned. My love has grown cold. Lord, what can I do about this? And number three, we have the Lord's advice. This morning we have the Lord's advice. What can I do, God? My love has grown cold. I've gone distant from my first love. What can I do? Verse number five. Number one, it says, remember therefore. Remember therefore. So the first thing we, he tells us, the first advice he gives us is to remember. Remember. All right. Remember what? Let me tell you what I remember. I remember being a nine-year-old boy. I remember going to children's church and the pastor getting up and preaching on salvation. And I remember all the kids getting up and coming down to the altar. And I remember getting up not because I wanted to get saved, because I didn't want to sit in a seat by myself. And I remember that, that, that the pastor's son took me in the pastor's office and led me through the plan of salvation. But I did not get saved because I did not come down for salvation. But I remember a couple months later, one summer on a Sunday night, I was sitting in a pew with my mom and uh, we went to church and that preacher got up and he preached on hell. And I said, I didn't want to go to hell. And I came down to the altar as a nine-year-old boy and I accepted Christ as my Savior on a Sunday night. That is something I do remember. You know what I remember? I remember being a 13-year-old boy. 
I remember going to a youth conference in Hammond, Indiana, and I remember sitting in there and sitting in that church service. I remember that preacher getting up to preach and he had a burlap suit on. He was preaching in sackcloth because he didn't feel worthy to preach the message he was about to preach. He preached a message called America, America. And at some point in that sermon, he played a video over his head. It was an abortion video. And it showed videos of babies being mutilated and pulled apart. And it was a three-minute video. And halfway through it, I had to close my eyes. I couldn't look at it anymore. And when the video was over, he was a skinny man. And he pointed his bony, bony finger back at that screen. And he said, somebody's got to stand up and say that's not right. I remember at that very instant, the Lord calling me to preach. Can you remember something in your life? Can you remember a time that Jesus saved you? Can you remember a time that you were close to God? Can you remember a time when God got a hold of your heart and the Spirit came in and you felt different than you've ever felt before? You want that back? You have to remember it. You have to call upon it. You have to call it up. Sometimes it's good to remember where you've come from. And sometimes it's good to remember how far you've come. The Bible says in Psalms 105.5, Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Let me make this statement. Thankfulness produces thankfulness. Thankfulness produces thankfulness. Who in here cannot say that God has not been good to them? God has been good to us, and we can all say that. Verse number five. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And repent. That word repent. Sometimes a lot of Christians are scared of that word repent. Well, you know what? You know, it says repent, but, but I thought that repentance was when someone get saved and they they change their mind about themselves and that they have a need for Christ and they turn to Christ absolutely yes repentance and faith are the two sides of the same coin when it comes to salvation so we need that repentance so the act of salvation is repenting but I'll tell you this a mature believer is someone who practices repentance after they've been saved it's when someone can say, I've been, uh, I've been wrong and I'm changing my mind about something. Oh, but Brother Brad, I thought we're under grace and my sins are forgiven. And yes, you are under grace. And yes, your sins are forgiven if you're saved. And yes, God's grace is sufficient. But I think about what Paul said. He said, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid that we should do that. You know what? I believe that when we realize there has been this lessening of love, when we get to the point to where we realize that I don't love God like I like I used to. I don't have the same joy that I used to have. I don't have I'm going through the motions and I'm doing all these things, but I don't have the love for God that I used to have. What we need to do is repent. And that means I need to turn back to God. And that's what repenting is, is a turn, is a change of our minds. We need to decide, I'm going to turn back to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God, for, for, for being distracted. I'm sorry for not loving you like I used to love you, God. 
Please take me back. Please give me that love back for you that I used to have. Give me that love back that I used to have when I got saved. We need to turn back to God today. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 9. Now rejoice not that you remained sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Don't we, what do we need to do today if we want to get that love back? What do we want to do if we want to have that revival? What do we need to do if we need to fall in love with Jesus again? How do we do that? How do we fall in love with Jesus all over again? What we have to do is we have to remember where we've been. We have to repent and turn back to him. And number three, we've got to receive. We've got to receive. Let's read verse number seven. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give the eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That second part of verse 7 is talking to the tribulation saints. But that first part of the 7, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Hey, you know what we need to do? Is we need to listen to the Spirit. We need to listen to the Spirit of God. Hey, you know, we got to remember what He's done for us. Remember what he's done for us in the past and turn back to God and beg God to, to, to give us back that first love. And when we do turn back to God and come back to him, we need to listen to what the Spirit tells us to do. We've all, I, 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 you, you know what it's, remember what it's like to get a new car. Man, you get that new car and... It's got that new car smell, and it's so nice. And then you get on to the kids. We're not, we're not putting one piece of trash in this car. We're not eating in this car. We're not drinking in this car. We're not doing anything in this car. That lasts for a little while. Then one day, you look around, you see where you've spilt some Coke on the carpet. You're digging around in the seat, and you see some old, stale McDonald's fries, probably been there for nine months. And you think to yourself, you know what? Life happens. And all of a sudden, this new car that you love so much, it becomes an old used car. It becomes an old car. We don't need to treat Christ like an old car. We don't need to treat Christ like he's a used car. We don't need to let the newness wear off. David messed up. David, David messed up big time. David spent some time away from God. But David repented. David came back to God. And what did the psalmist say when he came back to God? He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. When we have that restored relationship with Jesus, you know what happens? The joy, it returns. That joy we had when we first got saved, that joy we had when we first got in church, that joy we had when we first had that, had that uh, feeling on us, it begins to return. And all we have to do is we have to remember what God has done for us. And, and we have to repent and turn back to Him. And then we have to start listening for the Spirit of God. And, and maybe today we've gotten distracted. 
Maybe today we've gotten distracted from our first love. And that's why we may be going through the motions and we may be doing everything we're supposed to do and we might be raising our kids right and reading the Bible and praying and coming to church and witnessing to people and tithing and, and doing all these things right. We're going through the motions and we're doing everything right. And if somebody from the outside would look in on us and see what we're doing, they'd say, man, he's a good Christian. Man, she's a good Christian. Man, that's a good church for Christ. But on the inside, we've lost our passion. We've lost that joy of our salvation because we haven't returned to our first love today. What is revival? Revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. Maybe today... Maybe today we've been distracted. Maybe it's time we don't need to be as distracted anymore. Maybe it's time to repent and remember and return to our first love. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know what you need today. What I am going to do today is I'm going to open up this altar for you. In just a minute, we're going to have an invitation. The Lord is working on your heart. And I pray that you'd move and you'd do something for God. Let me tell you something. It's so easy to get distracted. And it's so easy to pull away from our first love. And man, we can look right. We can be doing everything right. And it's not like we're living in sin we're working for God and we're serving for God. We're serving God. But at the same time, even though we're working and we're serving and we're laboring and we're caring and we're contending and we're consistent, we've still lost our, we've still left our first love. Maybe it's time today to come back to the first love. Maybe it's time today to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Maybe today it's time to restore the joy of our salvation. How are we going to do this? We're going to remember what God has done for us in the past because he has given us victories and he has been there for us. And then we're going to repent. We're going to turn back to God. Say, God, please forgive me for being distracted. Forgive me for not loving you. Forgive me for losing my passion. And then we're going to receive him. We're going to begin to listen to his spirit and listen to what he tells us to do. Just a minute, we're going to have an invitation and you do whatever the Lord lays on your heart.